We're going to talk about forgiveness today. Look what Peter asked Jesus. Peter asked him, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me seven times? And Jesus replied, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now look at this, Colossians chapter three, verse 13. Make an allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Look what Paul says, make an allowance. You need to make, if you're gonna go to Disneyland, you have to make an allowance for Disneyland, okay? You don't go to Disney with $5. They won't even let you breathe their oxygen for $5. You gotta make an allowance. You've got a plan on a $20 turkey leg and a $15 churro and parking and, and all, you've got to make an allowance. You've got to make a financial budget to go to Disney. In the same way, Paul says you need to make an emotional allowance for relationships. You've got to be ready to spend some emotional money, some emotional intelligence. You've got, to, you've got to be ready to spend some, you've got to pay an emotional price to have healthy relationships. He's not saying relationships are perfect. He's saying they work if you work. Our marriage just didn't work out. No, you didn't work. Oh, okay. Anyway. And then he says, and here's the key to forgiveness. Remember, remember, remember what Jesus has done for you and that will then empower you to do something for someone else. I wanna preach from the subject today. The Holy Spirit spoke this to me about five years ago. It changed my life. Um, the Holy Spirit said, Jabin, you're waiting on an apology and you don't need an apology to move forward. And so I wanna talk for a couple of minutes. I don't need an apology. Father, in the name of Jesus, speak to us now. Amen. Everybody said amen. I was going to pray longer, and then I thought, let's just get right into the word. Okay. Mark chapter 11, Jesus is preaching his masterpiece sermon on faith. It's probably some of his most famous words, probably after the Lord's prayer and after John three sixteen, Mark 11 would be right there. He says this, if you will have faith in God, you can speak to the mountain and it'll move. He says, if you'll believe what you say, you will have what you say. And Jesus begins to just preach a, a, a glorious faith message. It is a message that'll change your life. It's a, it's a passage of scripture that we're gonna spend all of August talking about. So it's very important. And we're gonna talk about the power of your words, the power of faith and the power of prayer. And it's gonna be awesome. But as Jesus is preaching this message on vertical faith, he then at the end of it, when he should have given an altar call or he should have prayed for the sick or at least received an offering, instead of doing those things, he goes, okay, now, after I've talked about faith, here's what you need to do. If you have an issue with somebody, you need to go fix it. <laughs> if you've ever watched SNL and seen Debbie the Downer, this is the moment. If you've got faith, ah, I'm going to pray for you. Ah. No, go, go fix that thing with that person that you're mad at. What? Jesus? What are we talking about, Jesus. Here's what Jesus is saying. If you really have faith, 
it's gonna show up in your love. Your vertical faith has to show up in horizontal love. And if it doesn't, then you don't have genuine faith. Some of you are like, man, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. But I don't like people and nobody likes me. No, you don't love Jesus. You think you do. Because if my relationship with God doesn't show up in my relation, if I'm burning through friendships, burning through relationships, offending everyone that I come into contact with, if I'm going from friendship to friendship, relationship to relationship, marriage to marriage, church to church, there's, there's an issue and the issue isn't everyone, the issue is the common denominator. Okay. And I'm not talking to you, I'm talking about people from the 10 a.m. service, amen. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm talking about the people at the other church over there somewhere. My, my point is, this is a good thing. It, it hurts, but it's good because here's what it does. It frees us from deception. I always know how healthy my walk with God is. How do you know? Because I can look at how healthy my relationships are. If my love is lacking here, then I know my faith is weak here. This is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But it hurts. Because it constantly puts us in check. So when Adam goes, Lord, it wasn't me. It's the wife you gave me. No, no, no. It was you, Adam. It was your lack of faith. Because you should have grabbed that snake by its head and crushed it. But you didn't. Why? Because you had a lack of faith. And now it's directly affecting your relationships. So Peter asked Jesus a question, Matthew 18, we read it. And uh, Peter says this, Lord, how many times should I forgive my neighbor? How many times should I forgive someone who sinned against me? Seven times. Now, the reason he said seven is because under rabbinical teaching of that time, the rabbis taught you only had to forgive three times. And on number four, you can get ghetto. Come on, somebody, and scratch somebody's eyes out, punch somebody. And, uh, it, was, it, was, it was one, two, three, mercy, four, justice. So now Peter, who was always trying to suck up to Jesus... And look better than he was, goes, hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus, uh, 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 everyone listening, Bartholomew, listen to this, listen to this. Hey, Jesus, how many times do I go forgive my, my, my people that sin against me? Seven times? God's perfect number? Completion? Like he was acting super spiritual. Jesus said, no, not seven, 70 times seven. Okay, so was Jesus saying you have to forgive someone 490 times? No. He was saying, Peter, you have no clue how this thing works. You have no clue how forgiveness works. Because if you really did, you would never put a number on it. Because Peter, I never put a number on it when I deal with you. So then, anybody grateful? Yeah, okay. So, so then... So then he tells a story, and we don't have time to read it. I encourage you this week, by the way, you should not just open your Bible on Sundays. You should read it every day, amen? Even if you read one line, 
Even if you read one, read something. So read Matthew 18 this week. We don't have time to read it. The Bible said that Jesus tells a story, and here's what he says. He says, there was a man who owed his king millions of dollars. And now the king is settling his debts. And the king brings him before him and says, okay, you owe me a couple million dollars. You need to pay it. And the Bible said the man owed a debt he could not pay, could not pay, could not, would not, could not pay. And the man's response to the king was not, I'm sorry, I can't pay it. The man's response to the king was, just give me more time and I'll pay you back. But he couldn't pay it back. See, a lot of you, that's how you think God is with you. God, just give me more time. I'm going to get better. I'm going to serve more. I'm going to do more. I'm going to cuss less. I'm going to drink less. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be, uh, be more respectful. I'm going to stop doing this and stop doing this. God, just give me more time and then you'll accept me. And God says, no, no, no. I'm not going to give you more time. I'm going to cancel your debt. But some of you still think you can do enough good things to receive grace and mercy. If you could do good works to receive grace and mercy, it would no longer be grace and mercy. But this man had a skewed view of who the king was. He owed a debt he could not pay, but believed he could pay it. But I love this. The king... Verse 26, didn't give him more time, he canceled the debt. Let me just remind you again, the reason we sing and the reason we worship and the reason we receive Holy Communion and the reason we do everything that we do as Christians is not to pay God back, but to celebrate our debt cancellation. Go ahead, give God some praise, come on. We don't do this to pay him back. We can't. We owed a debt we could not pay. I don't get here early in the morning, and our guys don't get here early in the morning and set this up in, in somehow trying to kiss the ring and be good with the boss. We do this because we're so grateful that our debt was canceled. So many of us, we have this skewed view of how it works. The king did not make him pay it back. The king canceled the debt. But listen, that's how, God, that's how this man saw the king. Here's a big thought on the screen. You will treat people the way you think God treats you. Leave that up for a second. That hurts, but it's true. Let me tell you why you're angry. Because you think God's angry. Let me tell you why you're impatient. So you think God's impatient. Let me tell you why you flip out. Because you think God flips out. You treat people the way you think God treats you. So let me tell you why you won't forgive that person and you're making them earn it. Because you think you have to earn it with God. It's like... If God's mad at me, I'm for sure going to be mad at you. <laughs> if God's ticked, I'm going to be ticked. Like if God's angry, why should I be happy? And it affects 
how we treat people. If you see God as gracious, you'll be gracious. If you see God as loving, you'll be loving. If you see God as kind, you'll be kind. But the reason you do what you do is because your view of God is shaping your life. Now, here's how I know that that's how that man saw it. Even though his debt was canceled, the Bible said he walked out of the courtroom, finds his friend who owed him a couple of hundred dollars. Now, did you all catch that? He just got forgiven millions. But now... He goes to his friend that owes him hundreds, and he doesn't grab his friend, hug his friend, kiss his friend, celebrate with his friend, and say, OMG, best day ever. I just got my debt canceled. Don't you dare worry about that 200 bucks. Who cares about it? It's over. Let's celebrate dinner on me. This is going to be the greatest day. No, no, no. You know what he did? He walked out, and the Bible says he beat up his friend and threw him in jail. And you read it and you go, idiot! Or I do. <laughs> and the problem is, is I judge him and I do the same thing. God's been so good to me. He's, he's shown nothing but mercy and yet I still want justice for someone else. How can I demand justice? For a person that sinned a few hundred dollars against me. When I owed God a debt I could never pay. Jesus is not saying they didn't sin against you. He's just saying their sin against you compared to your sin against God is nothing. And so many of us want justice when all we've been given is mercy. So the king hears about it. By the way, every time you walk in unforgiveness, the king hears about it. Let me just tell you. <laughs> That's not to scare you. It's just, it is what it is. He sees it. And the Bible said the king brought him before him again and said, these words, verse 33, shouldn't you show mercy? Like after what I just did for you minutes ago, shouldn't you show mercy? Like, how can you act like that after what I just did? Now, look at me. Jesus is not saying, you need to toughen up. You need to get over it. You need to be a bigger person. You need to forgive and forget. No, no, no. Here's what he's saying. You need to live in the light of what I just did for you. And the reason you can give mercy it's because you just got it. Like if any of you come up to me after service and say, Jabin, I need a million dollars. Can you give me a million? Just a cool million. <laughs> With a smile, I'm going to say no. Y'all know why? Because I don't have it. Okay. I don't have it. I can't give you what I don't possess. Now, I can walk you to the ice cream cart because it's National Ice Cream Day, and I'll give you a free ice cream, <laughs> which is true, by the way. Okay, anyway, some of you don't believe me. You're like, are you, don't play me like that. Yes, there's ice cream. But I can't give you what I don't possess. How, how could the king say, give mercy? He could give mercy because he just received mercy. 
We can be gracious because we've received grace. We can show love because we've received love. The Bible says it like this. We are partakers in the divine nature of God. It's not about forgive and forget. It's about forgive and focus. Not focusing on what you did to me, focusing on what Jesus did for me. See, I'm either going to live under the shadow of what you did to me, or I'm going to live under the shadow of, we, of what Jesus did for me. And my focus, I'll never forget it, but I can change my focus. I don't have to stare at your sin against me forever. I can stare at the cross. Hebrews chapter 12, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Before the joy set before him, endured the cross. Forgiveness has everything to do with where you fix your eyes. Thank you. So put this on the screen. You don't need an apology to move forward. You have something so much better than an apology. See, some of you are waiting. on. If they would just say they're sorry. Some of you have gotten an apology and it wasn't enough. Because what you need is not an apology. Especially when it's a bad apology. Y'all know about bad apologies? Well, you know, hey man, I'm sorry if that offended you. No, you're an idiot. Well, I'm sorry you took it that way. No, you're mean. If you're going to give a cheap apology, don't give it. You're dumb. Anyway, and I'm not saying don't apologize. Like some of y'all are like looking at yourselves like, see, you don't need an apology. No, sir, you need to apologize. I'm talking about something way deeper. I'm talking, some of you, you are still wanting an apology from a person and some of them are dead. You're not getting it. Some of you want an apology from someone and they're never going to give it to you. Some of them owe you an apology and they don't even know what they did to you. And as you're waiting for an apology, the Holy Spirit said, Jabin, you don't need an apology to move forward because you have now become a prisoner to their words. Next slide. Many of you are waiting on something that you may never get. When you've already received something that they could never give. Give God a shout. I know you want to. Come on, clap your hands. They should apologize. I wish they would apologize. But at the end of the day, they can't give me what I've already got from Jesus. I got grace. I got mercy. I've got debt cancellation. And they, and they should apologize to you. But if you're waiting to be a prisoner of that thing, that's why the Bible calls us prisoners of hope, because we're not going to be prisoners of our past. 
I'm not going to be a prisoner to a person. I'm not going to be a prisoner to your words. I'm not going to be a prisoner to your abuse. I'm not going to be a prisoner to your violence. I'm not, I refuse to be a prisoner to you walking out on us. What you did was wrong, but I'm a prisoner of hope. I'm a prisoner of the finished work of Jesus. And I refuse to let your sin against me define me. My life is too big. My future is too great. The anointing of God on my life is too awesome. And I refuse to let your small thinking and lack of integrity stop me from doing everything God's called me to do. And by the way, when you stand before God, you will not answer to him for what they did to you. You're going to have to talk to God with what you did in response. And I am not being insensitive, and I know I'm getting fired up because I'm not trying to yell at you. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to jar you right now because some of you are still waiting for that moment to come. And I've just come to tell somebody it's probably not coming. So by the grace of God, and it might take time, it might take months, it might take years, it might take counseling, it might take prayer, it might take praying in tongues for the next year, every, every day to work and every day home, and, and it might take, I mean, it might take Joel Osteen 24 hours a day on your TV, but, but I'm telling you, you don't have to be a prisoner to that forever. I am going to tell it. Who's preaching to me? Talk back to me. So, so... Verse 34, admittedly, it's a scary scripture. The Bible said this. The Bible says the king gave the man over to torture, or your translation might say tormentors. So let's admit this, and y'all know it's true. How many know unforgiveness is torment? (laughs) It's tormenting. But here's... Here's the reality. We read a scripture like that and we go, oh, Jesus sent him to hell. Oh, Jesus sent him me to hell. No. Because <laughs> remember, he forgave you. So he doesn't forgive you and then send you to hell. And it forgave, past is done. I'm forgiven forever. Sorry, devil. It, the, the work has been finished. The price has been paid. I'm going to heaven as much as, as if I'm already there. I am heaven bound. So if I don't forgive you, it doesn't send me to hell. Here's what it does. It torments me. And, and now let me push you. God does it. God torments me. Here's what that word torment means. It's not the right word in the English. It means to press you. It means to press you for truth like in a court of law. And they're trying to agonize you to tell the truth. God's trying to get what's in you out of you. I want to use a, such a gross analogy. Oh, Amanda, I love you. Oh, no. All I can think of is Dr. Pimple Popper. gag but that doctor has to some of you are like as soon as church is over 
I'm going to get my Google on, but don't do it in church. You will throw up in church. That doctor is trying to get that junk out of them. God's trying to get that thing out of you. And you go, well, what's in me? The Bible calls it a root of bitterness. It's a root. It's a root system. And a root system affects the fruit system. You don't, you don't look at an orange tree and say, I want cherries. It can't give you cherries because the roots are oranges. You can't say, Jabin, I want a better marriage if your root system is bitterness. So we got to get the root out. That's why whenever you walk into Target and you turn that corner for the milk and there they are and your stomach goes and some of you are really spiritual you're like that's the Holy Ghost that's the sermon telling me they the devil no it's not that's the spirit of God pressing you showing you they're still a root in you. When you go on Facebook and you see their post, <laughs> and a bead of sweat goes down your forehead, and you get all clammy, and <sighs> that's the Spirit of God saying, There's an issue. And some of y'all judging me, and I don't even care because I'm under the blood. Hallelujah. <laughs> But the Lord's still doing a work in me, Stephanie. Don't you dare judge me. Praise God. Because it's real for me sometimes. I don't want to follow them on Instagram, but I just go to the Explorer page and there they are. And I just... <laughs> am I being so real right now? Like, am I being so real? Okay. You know what God's saying? He's going, hey, Chapin, there's an issue, Bubba. And you need to work it out. And I'm going, I know, Lord, but. And some of you, it's a memory. Some of you, it's a smell. Some of you, it's a song. Some of you, it's a place that you think about it. And emotion starts to rise. And the Spirit of God is saying, I'm, I'm bugging you on purpose. Because I want that thing out of you. Because see, here's the here's a big lie of the devil. You can hate one person. Just hate her. Just hate her. Just hate your ex. Just hate her. It's just your, it's our little secret. But in reality, that root creates your worldview. So the lie of the devil is it's our little secret. You just hate him. You just hate your dad. You just hate him. And in reality, it's going to affect every male relationship in your life. So you're married to Bill. Bill's great. Bill loves Jesus. Bill loves you. But you're still mad at Bob. I'm sorry if there's a Bill or Bob in the room. And Bill one day shaving his face and leaves a little hair in the sink and you roll in. 
You always do this. You're always a mess. Why do you treat me? You're so inconsiderate. You never clean up. And Bill's going, I've never done that. And sweet, dear lady, you're not even mad at Bill. It's not about the hair in the sink. You're mad at Bob. And if you don't forgive him, you'll just carry that thing into the next relationship. I want your second marriage to work. This is why the divorce rates for for marriage number two is just through the roof. Because most people will not forgive their first spouse. And if you've been remarried, you're going to have to fight this devil. Like you're going to have to fight this thing. Because you, you do, you carry this with you if you're not careful. Okay. All men are pigs. No, not all men are pigs. You had a bad experience with a man. And if you're not careful, it will now create a worldview in which you say all men. Oh, women are just, rah, rah, rah. no, no, women aren't just da, 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 anything. Okay, it got quiet, so I know God's really talking. <laughs> so you have a 13-year-old boy, and he looks at his alcoholic father. Here's what the word forgive means. It means let go. Everyone say let go. Let go. One more time, say let go. let go. So you have a 13-year-old boy, and he looks at his alcoholic father, and he says this. I'll never drink. I'll never go into a stupor like that. I'll never treat my family like that. I'll never treat my children like that. I'll never treat my wife like that. I'll never, I'll never, I'll never. And that same boy finds himself at 30 years old doing the same thing dad did. Why? Because he didn't let go. So he holds onto the emotion and he brings it into the next generation. So the Bible calls it a generational curse. In reality, it's generational hatred. It's generational unforgiveness. You don't have to repeat the mistakes of the former generation, but it will only break when you forgive. So to forgive is to release a prisoner and find out you were the prisoner. To refuse to forgive, unforgiveness is like drinking poison, waiting for that person to die. See, when I forgive you, I'm not saying you're right. When I forgive you, I'm saying I need to be right. When I forgive you, I'm not saying you're good. When I forgive you, I'm saying I need to be good. When I forgive you, I'm not saying what you did was healthy. I'm saying I need to be healthy. And put this up on the screen. I forgive you does not mean I trust you. (laughs) Like the relationship might be over, but I still need to forgive you. Forgiveness is not trust. Forgiveness is the character of Christ towards people. It doesn't mean I trust you. It doesn't mean we're going to continue on in this relationship. 
but it does mean I need to be free from what happened. Because as long as I don't, I'm convinced myself that I put them in torment when in reality, I'm the one in torment. See, because that guy that owed him the 200 bucks, I promise you, he got out of prison that day. He wasn't in torment. The man was in torment. That's why you gotta forgive. Three people you need to forgive. Jorge, come up. This is really a, a six-week series and we will probably, I'm gonna do a freedom series in the fall and we'll, we're gonna come back to this, okay? I'm just, but I wanna, I wanna get some, I wanna start some work, okay? Um, three people you need to forgive. Number one, you need to forgive others. You need to forgive them. What they did was not right, but you cannot become a prisoner to what they did and it ruins your life. You gotta forgive them. You gotta forgive them. And here's what Jesus did. On the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. Three days later, he rose from the grave and the Bible says this. He showed his disciples his scars. Scars. Everyone say scars. Showed them his scars. Not Three days later, Jesus wasn't still bleeding. He had scars, but he wasn't bleeding. Listen, you can't bleed forever. Eventually, you have to let God heal. Here's what a scar is. There was damage. There was a cut, but I've been healed. My heart was pierced. My side was pierced. My feet were pierced. But God healed me. And what you have to get to the point of is saying, God, heal me of my wounds so I can then stop bleeding on everybody. I'm the victim. I'm the victim. And you can now be healed and now you can show people your scars and go, look, look, look what Jesus did for me. They put me in the grave. But God healed me. And God can heal you. Even if my heart has been torn, yes. Even if my body's been ripped open, yes. Even if they stab me in the back, yes, because by his stripes. If God healed his back, he can heal my wounds. We're not in denial about what they did. We're just more focused on what Jesus did. Number two, you have to forgive yourself. Hating yourself does not glorify God. And beating yourself up for what you did wrong does not honor God. If God has forgiven you, you need to forgive you. you gotta forgive yourself. You gotta forgive yourself. Maybe it was adultery. Maybe it was an abortion. 
Maybe it was some bad financial decisions that have put you and your family in a really tough place and you just, you're so mad at yourself. You have to forgive you. Can't hate yourself forever. Jesus said, in order to love your neighbor, you have to be able to love your neighbor as you love yourself. You can't love your neighbor if you hate yourself. Number three, and and I got to explain this one, but some of you need to forgive God. Now, when I say forgive God, I'm not saying that God has ever sinned or sinned against you. He hasn't. But I'm saying sometimes life doesn't play along. Come on, somebody. (laughs) And it's very easy to get angry with God. Jesus' best friend, his own cousin, his first cousin, John the Baptist got mad at Jesus. John the Baptist was in jail for preaching Jesus. Jesus shows up to the town where John was in prison. And Jesus doesn't visit John in prison. It wrecks John's faith. It shakes his faith. And John calls one of his friends over and says, you go talk to Jesus. Ask him, is he even the Christ or should we be looking for someone else? Because there are times in life where you go, if God's really God, this shouldn't happen. Jesus said, you go tell John, Matthew 11, you go tell John, the sick are healed. The blind can see. The gospel's being preached. Lepers are being cleansed. And you go tell John, blessed is any man who is not offended because of me. In other words, John, you're blessed if you won't get so caught up in how I do what I do. Because life is bigger than this moment. And then Jesus said, hey guys, let me tell you something about John. John is the greatest man ever born of a woman. And he starts bragging on John. And the disciples no doubt would have walked back into prison and said, John, it's him. He's the Christ. And John, he loves you. And I know it doesn't feel like it right now, but he loves you. And I know it feels like you're in a prison and he's way out there somewhere. But I promise you, John, you're on his mind and you're in his heart. John, he hasn't forgotten about you. John, he loves you. John, don't die angry. Jesus loves you. I came to tell somebody, don't you dare die angry. Don't live angry. It doesn't feel like it right now, but he hasn't forgotten you. No doubt, just a few days later, John would be beheaded for his faith. John didn't die angry or offended. John died in faith, knowing that he was a part of something bigger than a little family feud. And some of you today need to go, God, I've been so mad at you and I've been holding this against you. 
but today, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you. Hey, God, can we kiss and make up? I don't want to be mad at you anymore. I come to church every Sunday, and I'm so mad at you. And I'm done. Hey, God, can we move forward? And Jesus says, yes. 